Hey, what's up? Just got my flu and COVID shots. You get yours yet? Nah, I don't have insurance. Dude, lots of places have the shots for free. Really? But are they even safe? Yeah, and vaccines help prevent serious illness. I'm not missing out on this season, especially with Nate's party coming up. Okay, okay, I'll get mine too. Shots hurt a little, but missing out hurts a lot. Get your flu and COVID vaccines. Brought to you by Iowa HHS. In the week that saw Rana Habib die in Corrie, Sandy Toxvig become a contestant on Bake Off and Channel 5 reveal the nation's favourite crisps, this is Series Linked. I'm Emma Bullymore from the TV Times and this is Mark Jeffries from The Mirror. Hi Jeffers. Hey, how's it going? Good, thank you. On this week's episode of the podcast dedicated to everything on the box that's both on and in demand... Line of Duty's Adrian Dunbar joins us in the studio ahead of the new series. We look at a factual feast of shows, including Blue Planet Live. Plus, Les Dennis tells us his box set to watch before you die. You're listening to Series Linked, the podcast for TV fans by TV fans. You're right, Jeffers. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about, isn't there? Yeah, it's good stuff. Baptiste finished at the weekend. We've talked a lot about that. What did you think of the big finale? Yeah, I did really enjoy it. I think this hasn't quite worked out as maybe we originally thought, or certainly I originally thought. I maybe thought Baptiste was going to explode and be one of those like line of duty, like bodyguard, maybe going to do six, seven million. And it's ended up being a bit more of a, a sort of twisty crime caper that not everyone's really got into. It's quite intricate. There's a lot of detail it maybe involves a bit too much stinking for some people. And it's also quite a dark subject, I suppose, as well. So it's ended up finishing with about four million. I did enjoy it. And I think there probably will be another series, but it's it's not quite that really big Sunday night drama that perhaps I was expecting at the start. Well, yeah, and you're right to expect big things because of The Missing. Miss, mm. The Missing series one and two were huge. They were brilliant. And I think they did demand attention. I don't think maybe that's the problem. I think it's just kind of just lost its way a bit. It wasn't gripping enough. Tom Hollander was great, but by the end, I didn't really care what happened to him. I, I was so bored of trying to work out whether I could trust him or not that I just, oh, forget about it. And the final scene on a beach, I won't ruin it, but <laughs> Baptiste is just kind of philosophising about shells and what it means if you collect shells. I said, like, oh, give me a break. It's my Sunday night. Calm down. Like, it's just he's got, he got overly earnest, which I don't think he used to be. I think making him the subject of it was a massive mistake personally i really liked um, jessica rain's character in it i think uh whether there's a the prospect of her being able to be involved if there is a, another series i think that might be good i know what you mean about tom hollander's character he was very uh sort of negative and downbeat and, and obviously that was the role but at the same time there was sort of a bit of a gloom over the whole series there wasn't much in the way of upbeat results even from the team most ways you looked at it it was very negative and sort of gory and perhaps a little bit downbeat for a sunday i know lots of brooms have negativity in them being crime but I just wasn't sure this was what everyone wanted you didn't really feel like with some other series that everyone's talking about it there's lots of talk on social media or speculating at the end of each episode and sort of after one or two episodes I didn't really feel that that was happening as much as I maybe expected that's not to say I don't think it it didn't work I do think they should do another series from what I hear there are talks ongoing so I think that will happen and I think the character is solid enough 
for there to be another really good series and it could pick up. I'm just not sure maybe this plot was was perfect. Kind of missed the emotional heart of it. The first two were about children going missing. And I know that some people said, oh, I don't want to watch it because of that. But it sets up this really high stakes situation, which I don't think we really had so much in this series because, I don't know, I just didn't care as much as I was saying. I, I don't know. I, Jimmy Nesbitt and Killy Hawes, their characters... I was desperate for them to get some resolution. I was desperate for for the kid to be found. Whereas this time, I was to start with and at points, but by the end, whatever. I totally agree. We didn't have, I guess, as viewers, quite the emotional investment as we had in those other characters. I think that's probably the key. And it definitely dropped off in terms of people chatting about it on social media. But people did stick with it and it managed to beat Victoria, which is a big drama for ITV. Also started on Sunday night, head to head really annoying when they do this to be honest because I think a lot of people would watch both but Victoria perhaps slightly disappointing overnight figures but it will have consolidated figures as well so maybe that's a bit early to judge do you think it's worth watching I do and particularly if you like period dramas then this is the one and this well the only one at the moment I think it's worth watching it always looks really beautiful Jenna Coleman in the lead role is very solid yeah it's joining at quite an interesting time she's pregnant there's a lot of um, upheaval in the country and in France as well So it is interesting, and I think sometimes this series in the past, there's been some episodes which have been a bit flat. There's not a lot happening. I used to find the same thing with Downton Abbey, I think, because I'm not a huge period drama fan. I need some action. And this first episode, if you didn't see it, you catch up on the hub. There is a lot going on. It does set up really well. We've also got the new character Lawrence Fox plays. It's very good. And and so it it did feel lively. But I think it's next week is going to struggle because it is up against Line of Duty. There's a lot of new characters joining this series. There's uh, Victoria's sister uh, and also a new duchess. But Lawrence Fox... I think is absolutely brilliant in this, I have to say. He really breathes new life into it. He's kind of constantly a little bit cheeky, a bit of a twinkle in the eye. He's not intimidated by royalty. He's playing the Foreign Secretary Palmerston up against or up with in a sort of double act, John Sessions as the Prime Minister. And he's really, he's just sort of naughty with it. And you can see he's absolutely having a great time playing this role. And I think that really it just freshens it up a little bit. It gives you something more to hang on to. And watching the two of them, watching Victoria and him, trying to sort of have this, I don't know what the word is, rivalry or kind of tension. I just find it really engaging to watch. He's got some great one-liners. I think it's good news for this series. But like you say, up against Line of Duty, this is exactly what happened. Vanity Fair up against Bodyguard. Vanity Fair was a brilliant series, didn't stand a chance. I know that ITV have to come out strong to try and compete with Line of Duty. But I think it's going to be at the sacrifice of a good series in Victoria. I know that the makers of Victoria were at pains to say that this show has been ready to go for a little while. Um, It's already been actually screened in America and uh, there's a weird situation where we've got it after them. So don't sort of Google search too much, otherwise you can literally find out everything about the series online already. I think ITV made a mistake and should have probably run a little bit earlier. That said, it's quite a different audience perhaps in terms of Victoria and Line of Duty. I think that it will have its own audience and you, you you can obviously catch up and watch it on ITV Hub in the week. So I think next week is going to be, or this Sunday is going to be difficult in terms of the audience. I think the audience was about 4 million and it will definitely go down on Sunday. But, you know, hopefully people will watch it and it will consolidate up and it will do okay that way. And ITV always suffers because if you want to watch both, obviously one's got a plus one channel and one hasn't. So that's unfortunate for ITV. But it has to be said, the big event is Line of Duty. We've been lucky enough to see episode one. It's exciting, isn't it? Probably the biggest show of the year so far. I mean, I love Fleabag and stuff, but in terms of ratings, I think this has got the potential. Judging on the social media hype, it could do, you know, six, seven, eight million, I think, on Sunday night. As you say, we've seen it. It is a cracking first episode, really ratchets up in the second half. 
don't want to say too much, but it, it, yeah, it's, it's very exciting. And Jed Mercurio looks like he's, uh, you know, he's he's done it again. It's better than Bodyguard. It is better than Bodyguard. It's, I think it's, it's it's Jed's best work. And if you inv- have invested in it and watched all the series, there's so much more to it. And there's, you know, little things that you can realise almost after you finish watching to pick up on. So I think, I think it's great technically as well. So this Sunday, Line of Duty returns to BBC One at nine o'clock. We are so excited. And there's been a lot of speculation about just who H might be. And I'm very glad to say that in the studio right now is one of the potential suspects. It's AC12's Ted Hastings, Adrian Dunbar. Hey. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hi. Yeah. A bit a bit croaky today, but for showbiz reasons. A bit croaky, yeah, a bit croaky today. Uh, it was out late. I've got a bit of a lurgy. Don't know how we got it quite. Could have something to do with Neil Morrissey, but, you know, let's, let's not go any further <laughs> with that. So how are you feeling? Obviously, it takes months to film the series, but everyone is so excited about Sunday. It's all coming down to this weekend. I know, I know. I mean, you know, we've been used to get, getting a lot of attention and we've been used to the series building, but it really seems to have kicked off this time. Yeah, there's so much attention, so many people excited about it. I'm excited about it. You know, we all watch it in live time as it goes out. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to Sunday night. And particular attention for you this year. Mm, yeah, there is particular attention. I mean, if I'm sure everybody listening remembers that, uh, who, who liked the series, remember at the end of the last series, there was a series of looks between myself and Vicky that suggested that there was something, some bit of subtext that was going on that looked a bit dodgy. Well... That will be carried through into the series. That will be, we will be looking at Ted's past. There will be scrutiny, you know, and uh, what where that's going to go, I can't say, but it's, it's not looking good for Ted, I have to say. I really don't want him to be corrupt. That's pretty much what everyone said when they're talking about this weekend. I know, but we are dealing with Jed Mercurio. That's it. Lots of people say to me that if they, you, they ever found out you were corrupt, they would stop watching, which has got a big statement given how much people love the show. Is that sort of thing nice to hear in a way, though? Yes, it is nice to hear. But then again, you know, you realise that, uh, you know, where we are at the minute, people are just desperate for somebody to be kind of, you know, good at their job at the top. You know, there's a paucity of leadership around at the moment. And I think, you know, everybody looks to Ted and thinks, oh, God, why don't we send Ted in there to sort this out? Because he seems to be able to do it. Yeah, so it's good. It's great. I think people are really connected with the character. You know, they like him. He's flawed. He's, he's you know, but uh, at the same time, he does the right thing. Ted would make short work of Brexit. I think he's got it all sussed. He would. He'd make very short work of it. He'd get a few of those guys across the table, Barnier and Tusk and a few of those guys, and <laughs> put them under a bit of interrogation. And then he'd pull out a few of those eccentrics, like uh, Rhys Mogg and Horace, <laughs> and he'd give them an even bigger grilling, I can assure you. Do you think you could react to anything that Jed throws you in terms of the character? You know, if, if there was a twist in it and it wasn't whiter than white, or do, do you think you can do anything with him, or do you feel quite protective over him now you've been doing it for so long? Yes, you do get protective about your characters, because, and, and you would also feel slightly betrayed, I have to say, that when you're playing a character that you've played very straight, but all the way down the line, and then suddenly the writer decides to do a bit of a volt fast on you, that would feel like, whoa, that would be difficult, wouldn't it? So, uh, but then again, it is Jed Mercurio, and you don't quite know what Jed's going to do, as Danny Mays and Jessica Rain and Jason Watkins can testify to. 
every time you get a script, you just think, oh, my goodness, let me flick to the end, see if I'm still there. Yeah, that's what we do. We try it. We do, we do that. I mean, what happens usually, though, is that Vicky tends to get hold of the script somehow before the rest of us. She will read the scripts and then she'll start texting us with saying cryptic things like, oh, my God. God, do you know what happens to you in episode four? How annoying. Yeah, it really is annoying. You know, she absolutely loves it. She loves winding us up. She loves winding me up in particular. She keeps winding me up. She says things like, oh, so, um, you know, that 25-page scene, you know, they pulled that forward to Wednesday. I go, what? <laughs> she goes, how many joking, Adwa? She goes, all right. You know, so uh, she winds me up all the time. And you can't reveal too much in terms of a storyline, but presumably there is a lot for AC12 to get their teeth into over the series again? Well, the thing is, Jed always seems to have his finger on the pulse of something that's happening, I think, topically. And um, I, uh, I noticed the other day it's in, in The Guardian, I think it was, that organised crime is costing the country about £35 billion a year, they reckon. And so organised crime and organised crime groups is the main thrust, if you like, of the storyline. Uh, Stephen Graham being the kind of leader of this uh, organised crime group uh, that also, you know, was... Watchers of the series will know they're all out there, they're wearing balaclavas. It does feel like we're getting very close to the centre of the action and the actual people that we are after, including Hitch, all along with this uh, organised crime group. So the main thrust of the show is the organised crime. But then within that, there's other bits of DNA that are kind of floating around, like, you know, this what's happening in my life, in my personal life, what, a little bit of what's happening in Vicky's personal life and Martin trying to sort out what's happening with him. You know, he's put through the ringer again. Jed seems to really like putting Martin Compson through, <laughs> through the ringer. I don't quite know what that's about. but uh, So uh, all those things are rolling along towards a very definite conclusion, uh, you know, in uh, episode six, which will be a 90-minute ending. Exciting. Very exciting. And catchphrases are usually associated with comedians or sitcoms or whatever, <laughs> not with top-notch drama like Line of Duty. You've done pretty well to score yourself, what, probably three or four catchphrases at this yeah, stage? I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a Ted Hastings bingo thing that happens badly <laughs> where guys kind of, you know, every time I say a fella, they have to drink a pint or something. <laughs> uh, that goes on. And, uh, yeah, no, I mean, there is. I've got a couple coming up. I've got a very good one in episode one uh, when we screened it at the BFI. It got a big laugh, actually, you know. So there are moments of uh, comedy also within, you know, humour, rather, within the piece, which I think is is always good. People like that as well. So, yeah, I've got I've got a really, really nice, very abstract Northern Irish saying coming up in episode one. Looking forward to that. Yeah. And do you find that cabbies like, go on, say fella, go on, go on, say this? You yeah, no, they say the cabbie today. I said, all right, see you later, fella. And I, <laughs> thought, I just everybody's on it. Everybody's on it. It's so funny, you know. But it's uh, it's great. It's great. It's just kind of caught the zeitgeist or whatever it is. You know, it's just out there. People are just saying stuff like that. So, uh, so yeah, no, it's it's great. I mean, you know, it's fabulous. You get to my age and infirmities, and suddenly uh, a nice part like this comes along, and uh, you know, you have the wherewithal and to make use of it and to, to go for it. And, uh, you know, so it's been a real game changer for me, really, Ted. It's been great. That's what I was going to say. I mean, you've worked on so many big shows over the years, but this one just seems to really have caught the public's imagination in perhaps a, a different way to some of the other stuff, having sort of almost catchphrases and things. Why do you think that is? Do you think we're sort of, we need someone like him in our lives at the moment, a bit of a beacon? 
Yeah, you know, people like Ted because because of his flaws. You know, there he is in his little bed sit or whatever it is, and he, you know, his marriage has fallen apart, and he can't manage money, and he's you know, but he's he can manage people, you know, and he can inspire people, and he you know, and he's very loyal to his people, and he you know he he'll uphold the law, and he believes in the law, and he believes in what he's doing, and you know, those people are few and far between, and uh, you know, I think that's why people. Really like him, but uh, you know, one thing I will say to the listeners, and that is that you know, when you tune in at nine o'clock on Sunday night, you will not hear the B word anywhere. It's blessedly empty of Brexit. <laughs> Our story does not reference it or have anything to do with it. Hooray! A Brexit free zone. And you mm. also said that we're coming into the sort of the meat of it, or the you know, we're getting quite close to the centre of that sort of organised crime. Yeah, that would maybe suggest that we're nearer the end than the beginning, I suppose. And Jed did say at that screening you talked about at the BFI that he knows how it's going to end. So, have you got any thoughts on the longevity of the show? Presumably, you'd like to stay for a bit longer. Yeah, you know, we'd all like to stay for a bit longer. I mean, I think definitely we'll do a, a six series uh, in some form or other. Who's going to be in it? I do not know. But I think Jed's definitely keen to do a six series. And so with the BBC. So uh, I think that's going to happen. Whether it goes beyond that, I, I, I don't know. But I think if there's an appetite, uh, you know, if we have audience, if we have the numbers, and at the minute I don't see that stopping because Jed, even though he writes this entirely on his own, he keeps coming up with the goods. He keeps coming up with plausible, shocking storylines that leave us waiting to see what the next episode is next week. So as long as Jed keeps doing that, I think there'll be an appetite in the country to see it. Stephen Graham just seems like a perfect fit for someone like Lionel Jutin. We've lucky enough we've seen the first episode, and from what we've seen, I mean, it, it seems a perfect uh, perfect fit. Yeah, absolutely. He's just walked straight in, and he's just got it. You know, but I think because we've done a number of series now, actors can look at the, at the show and, and decide exactly how they're going to come into it and exactly how much energy they're going to bring into it and where the intensity lies and all those things. Because we've built up a kind of vocabulary of that over the years. So I think they'll, they'll be very, you know, the likes of Stephen is able to watch the show and just hit the ground running. And uh, and it's obvious that the three of you, you, Vicky and Martin, get on so well. You live quite close <laughs> to each other during filming. We heard the other day that you're the resident chef. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, we're not talking cuisine here. <laughs> I mean, we are... <laughs> We are talking comfort food, and but then you need it when you're away from home, don't you? So Vicky will come in on a Saturday morning and I'll have to do a kind of my bacon and beans and, uh, you know, and do a big fry up with soda bread and all the rest of it. So we have three flats. They're all very close together. Vicky's flat is very tidy. She's very, very tidy. Very tidy. All the worktops <laughs> are very clean. You won't see anything out. You won't see anything out of place. Are you allowed in there? I'm allowed in there now and again. We all come in to do some. We all come in. We run our lines there. Vicky makes us tea. We learn our lines. We run the lines in Vicky's uh, apartment. And then if we want to have something to eat, then we come into my apartment, which is slightly bigger. And so I've got, you know, to do the cooking and, you know, make everybody some soup or something. And then if there's a party, we all go to Constance. (laughs) because <laughs> he's the party animal <laughs> and a very good one are we talking Smirnoff Ice and uh, party till we're talking uh, he's a bit of a Maker's Mark and Coke character nice yeah that's the kind of Martin yeah Maker's Mark and, and yeah and partying late and uh, especially if Celtic happen to have won that day which they usually do then you know he's really on it <laughs> 
then it's on. Yeah. And a funny thing's happened this year. That So obviously Bodyguard happened in the gap between series of Line of Duty and then they're saying from the makers of Bodyguard, it's Line of Duty. It's the other way around. Where do you stand on this? It is absolutely the other way around and I'm glad Jed tweeted the other day that he didn't know why everybody was upset because he had said, why don't we say it's from the makers of the Grimleys? <laughs> <laughs> To which I said, absolutely, you're bang on there, mate, because, <laughs> yeah, no, there was a lot of a backlash about that, wasn't there? You know, because basically I think the bodyguard lifted our audience because, you know, it was Jed and so, so, they, so they lifted our audience and then built on it. And uh, so I'm hoping all that audience is going to come with us now on Sunday night and they'll be there to watch the, the first step. And obviously you took part in the comic relief crossover as well. That was good fun. Yes, yes, I did, I did. Although Jed and I, we filmed that completely in isolation. I didn't know who was going to be in the car. I knew Keely was going to be in the boot, but I didn't know who was going to be in the back of the car. I didn't know it was going to be Joanne. And uh, so so I, I thought it was very, fun, very funny. <laughs> it was good. Yeah, it was good. It was uh, one of the ones that uh, people thought was great, yeah. You said that you'll watch it Sunday, so where will you be? You'll be at home and you'll, will you look at social media and see the reaction as well? Or, or are you just trying to watch it in isolation? No, I, I don't have social media, so I just, um, I'll just watch the telly. I'll take the telly out from behind the sofa because I don't have a telly that's out. So I take a telly out and put it on a stool. Hang on. And plug it all in. A TV that's not plugged in, and then you have to plug it in just for Line of Duty. Yeah, for anything I watch. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So That uh, seems a lot of faff. You know, you can leave it It's set actually up. not. Okay. It's actually not, and it stops you from watching nonsense. Okay. Is that why you do it then, just so that you... Well, you pick, yeah, you choose what you watch, don't you? You choose what you watch, otherwise you'll just kind of boggle out and come dine with me or something for hours, you know, which is a very good show. <laughs> That's to be said. So what's worth getting a telly out for? What would you watch? Well, obviously anything that Attenborough does. Like everybody else, I love good documentaries, Derry Girls, Killing Eve, the good shows that you really want to watch and the good documentaries that you'd like to see. Derry Girls is once a week, so you're having to get, a, get that TV in and out quite... <laughs> Fairly quick, fairly yeah, regular yeah, at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, Graham Norton, obviously, the telly's That's got to come out week, for that. Yeah. I'm worried about your back here. Yeah, yeah. well, I'm actually, <laughs> now you mentioned it, I have got a bit of a tweak in the back as well. <laughs> and maybe that's what it is. Mind you, it is only a kind of, you know, an 18-inch telly or okay. something, you know, so it's not too heavy. And do you get time to do any other TV? I imagine Line of Duty must be at least six months a year. You, are you trying to fit in any other work this year? I know you did Broken, which was fantastic with Sean Bean. Before. Yeah, I did. A, actually, not a lot of people went kind of under the radar in a way, but I did a series in uh, Ireland last year for Virgin Media One called Blood which then went on to screen in Channel 5 and did really, really well for Channel 5. And it's been recommissioned, uh, written by a girl called Sophie Petzl. So we're kind of, I'm, I'm excited that that's going to go again. I think that's it was really good. Blood, and if anybody can catch, catch it, it's probably, I think it's going to Acorn, that uh, platform in the US. It was bought into the US as well. So, uh, and then if Jed... We don't know quite. I don't know if Jed knows whether he's going to do another series of uh, Bodyguard. I think that's probably dependent on casting. And Yeah, I know. think we suspect that there's going to be another series, but I don't think there's been an official There hasn't been an official yeah. announcement yet. I don't, I don't know. But uh, if there is another series, then he'll be busy writing that. And then it's going to be next year, middle of next year, before we shoot another line of duty. So, you know, there's big gaps in between it. So there's plenty of time to do other stuff. And is there anything you still yearn to do on TV that you haven't done? You don't really strike me as someone who, who's desperate to get involved in any reality or anything like that. No, definitely not. 
But yeah, no, um, on TV, yes, there's a lot of great actors out there I'd still like to work with. I'd, you know, I'd like to do some comedy, actually. I don't get a chance, never got a chance to do comedy. And, uh, you know, apparently I can be quite funny. <laughs> but, uh, but... Well, if anyone's listening, any uh, anybody listening, anything, let's, get you, in a, you let's know, get you in a good we're sitcom. Lo- we're looking for a sitcom. There's got to be a role in Derry Girls. There's definitely a role in Derry Girls, yeah, for sure. For sure, but I'm waiting for the call. Yeah, and if that happens, it all comes back to we want we want all the credit. Series for that, links, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and any stunts, action that you can tease in Line of Duty this this series? I very rarely get out and get involved, except for that one time that I kind of arrived in and shot somebody. That comes up slightly. There's a lot of things that come up, and all those people who've gone back and watched the series again, and I know a lot of people have, I think they'll be rewarded for going back and kind of keeping up to speed with all the little ins and outs because Jed's very good. He does, you know, allow those things to have payoffs, even though they can be tiny little things along the way, but you just go, oh, I know where that comes from or I, I know what that reference is. There's some really interesting ones going way back this time. And is it hell for you keeping the secrets or do you quite like it? Um, no, because I have to say... You know, when you're approached by the public, they come up and go, I'm I'm a huge fan of Line of Duty, but don't tell me anything. Don't tell me anything, they go. It's different. It really is different. The people don't want to know because they know it's a show that's based on. And the press have been really good as well over the years. You know, they've really stuck to their guns and they haven't um, spoiled anything for us, you know, because it it would be quite easy and, you know, but they haven't done that, and they've been really good. And But the, I think the public just, you know, they don't want to, genuinely don't want to spoil the fun. What about your family? When you come home, do you tell them what you do, or do they like to watch it as it goes along? Yes, they will. Anna will watch it, and uh, and the kids will watch it, but they never push me to, to tell them because I just say, well, you know. So you don't even tell your family what, what's going on? No, you can't tell anybody. You can't tell anybody, that's it. Oh, you're good. I already want to tell people. <laughs> Just having seen well, it, I'm like, what, I have yeah. to kind of keep it well, locked first step, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know, yeah. Well, they are, people are very excited about it, but uh, yeah, no, you can't do it. You can't do it. Well, we've kept it spoiler-free. We've managed. Yay. Remember, guys, watch Line of Duty. Series 5 begins this Sunday, 9 o'clock on BBC One. Adrian, thank you so much for coming in. Not at all. Thank you very much. You're listening to Series Linked with me, Emma Bullymore and Mark Jeffries. If you're enjoying the podcast, make sure you've subscribed and tell your friends too. So something that's on the box at the moment is Series 3 of All Round to Mrs. Brown's, which sees Mammy have her own chat show. And it's you know no secret that Mrs. Brown is a little bit divisive, but that show is doing very well, very popular. So Jeffers, my big question to you this week is, which other TV character should have been given their own chat show? Well, the first person that sprung to mind, but it's a bit of a cheat, was was Alan Partridge, because he's on at the moment. I like the idea of him having his own real chat show and sort of a live chat show, maybe. But I think when we've been to screenings, Steve Coogan has mentioned that he can't really do it unscripted and it's all basically scripted. And if he tries to do it live, it wouldn't work. So scrap that one. Miranda in Miranda, I think a lot of people would like, but that is basically her. So <laughs> I'm ditching that one as well. Then I thought about Hyacinth Bouquet. Oh, my God. Bit of a sort of retro chat show. David Brent also would be pretty good. but That would be awful. My ultimate one, I think, in this t- current time, what we need is we need Malcolm Tucker from the thick of it, interviewing people, particularly politicians, really take them to task. Bit sort of Paxman style, I suppose. But I think Malcolm Tucker is probably Peter Capaldi's best ever role as well. The only way I can see him coming back would be a chat show. So next time Andrew Marr goes on holiday, 
Perfect. Cool. Let's do it. Amazing. I had a couple of thoughts on this as well. I was thinking the worst character to get their own chat show would be Carrie Bradshaw from Sex and the City. My favourite show. She turns everything around on herself. Anyone, anyone would say a problem, she'd go, yeah, but I couldn't help but wonder if that's like my problems, guys. Yeah, yeah I can see Terrible. that. Terrible. Uh, but I think the best one would be Jessica Fletcher because she gets to the bottom of anything. She would be the new Parkinson. I like it. Footnote, our producer has just said who's <laughs> Jessica Fletcher. Our producer is about to get sacked. <laughs> However, if you haven't seen it, She's, she's from Murder, She Wrote. You know this, Jeffers. Of course. So, Jeffers, another big event at the weekend, Blue Planet Live kicked off on Sunday. What did you make of this? Yeah, it's been pretty hyped by the Beeb This It's going to be four shows. Started Sunday, we've got Wednesday, Thursday, and then next Sunday as well. It's a live, effectively, Blue Planet, they're saying, from three different locations, so you've got Steve Baxter in the Caribbean with sharks. Liz Bonin is in the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, mainly looking at turtles. And then you've got Chris Packham, who is uh, looking at whales and, and different types of whales. It's uh, a good idea in the sense that they've got really different types of animals, really different locations. But the live element, I'm not sure how necessary it is. That was my sort of take from Sunday's show. We did get to see some great whales live and uh, Steve Baxter was underwater live swimming with these sharks. But some of the footage used went back to footage from earlier in the day, which was absolutely fantastic. But obviously that, that wasn't live. And I wondered what sets it apart, what makes it necessary for it to be live. I don't know what you thought about it. I think it was quite a cynical piece of commissioning, actually, because the whole amazing joy of Blue Planet is the fact that in a world where everything is just rushed off quickly, they spent years and years painstakingly getting these beautiful, incredible films to bring it together with David Attenborough's voice over the top to make it this beautiful event. This is not that. This is a great show. This is basically Spring Watch for Oceans. It's Ocean Watch. And that's fine. Chris Packham's brilliant. Liz Bonin's great. The underwater thing with the sharks, Steve Batchel was really good. It's, it's good as a programme in its own right, but it's not Blue Planet Live. Do you know what I mean? Blue Planet Live made such an impact that it got things discussed in Parliament. This show's not going to do that. It's, it's just a different thing. As for it being live, I have to say props to the, the technical team behind it. There was no crackling. There was no delay. It, it went really, really smoothly, seamless, which even shows shot in London don't necessarily always achieve that. But I just felt a bit let down by it. And I think it's just, oh, Blue Planet was great. What else can we do with Blue Planet? I think the reason they've called it Blue Planet is I appreciate what you're saying about sort of cashing in in that sense, but they are also going to use future episodes coming up this week to talk about some of those problems that Blue Planet really shone a light on. Plastics problem, noise pollution, overfishing, and those sort of elements uh, that happen on all of these sort of faraway places. They do keep stressing, for example, at the Barrier Reef that you know this could disappear in, in our lifetime if we continue to sort of treat the planet badly. So I guess in that sense they are using the Blue Planet sort of logo or, or, you know, name in a good way. But I agree with you in the sense that it's ultimately, it's not Blue Planet, is it? There were were elements that were a bit like it. And I just wonder whether it might have been better to have this over, say, three weeks instead of a week. And what we're watching is perhaps footage from the last couple of days. The piece of footage I really enjoyed watching from the first episode was Liz Bonin in the Great Barrier Reef and she'd watched a lot of turtles hatch and they were going into the sea. And that oh, was, that abso- was so, cute. so cute. It was absolutely incredible to watch. But that actually happened, I think, in the afternoon previously. There was nothing for me that took away from the fact that wasn't happening live, that she did put a couple back live. The footage from earlier in the day w- was as good or probably better than the stuff we saw live. You also have that sort of clunky bits to camera where they're sort of filling 
for, for a whale to hopefully go into the back yeah. of shot or the shark. When we're thinking of talking about wildlife problems, I'm not sure how necessary that is. I don't feel like I'm gaining a great deal from seeing that whale live as opposed to seeing it yet from yesterday or, or whatever. Um, as you say, the, the great shows take years and years, so I don't think there would be any harm in spending a week and collecting whatever you could there in a week. And I'm sure in terms of broadcasting, with it not being live, then it would be significantly cheaper in terms of for the BBC's costs as well. And if nothing else, it was a great PR exercise for sharks. If I heard once, I heard it a million times, Steve Batchel going, but sharks are great, sharks are great. It's like being with poodles. It's not really like being with poodles though, is it? I mean, that's what he was trying to say, that they're all mega friendly and lovely. I think he's just worried that there is this sort of overfishing or, you know, they are caught a great deal and that is a huge problem for the shark population. So I understood what he was trying to do, but yeah, he, he laid it on quite thick, I guess. <laughs> right, we've got a couple of documentaries to discuss, starting off with something really obviously very serious. BBC Four's The Yorkshire Ripper Files, a very British crime story. I wanted to flag this because there's been a lot of true crime documentaries recently on Netflix. Netflix seemed to have ownership over that genre. But this is on BBC Four and actually I think it's much better than some of the recent ones on Netflix. Certainly better than the Madeleine McCann one. Jeff has set this up for us. Yeah, it's a very different take on a, on a well-known sort of crime story, I suppose. Peter Sutcliffe, Yorkshire Ripper, there's been countless documentaries made over the years and a lot of people who even watch this will know the story. But what this does is it shows how, uh, I guess, women were treated differently in the 70s, particularly the victims and, and some of the people who managed to get away. Because some of them were prostitutes and some of them actually weren't prostitutes, the police, to begin with, initially in, in the first few murders, didn't really seem to take this seriously and the language they were using was almost like it wasn't as serious a crime because of their professional, because they didn't have a lot of money. So that's very interesting when you watch that footage back in the way that it's been framed by this documentary maker. You've also got um, a lot of interviews with children of the victims and their take and actually you find out what happened to them when you know their mothers were killed and it's very shocking. They weren't really perhaps given the best care or very different care from what you would have now if someone's parents was murdered. So it's almost a look sort of behind the story or very different look at the story. It's not sort of all about how the crime was solved. It's very interesting. I don't know what you thought. And it's also not about glorifying the murder. It's not really about Peter Sutcliffe. It's not about uh, his background or what his childhood was like in the way that the Ted Bundy documentary on Netflix was. This is about the victims and it's about how they were treated. It's really shocking. I mean, we know that life was you know, that more sexism was going on in the 70s than perhaps now. But but I was, you know, appalled, actually, and, and really surprised. And I learnt loads from this documentary. I mean, I wasn't, you know, hugely well-versed on the case, but I knew a bit about it. I just thought it was a really interesting angle to take on it. You know, sometimes documentaries feel like, yeah, you're going over the same stuff. I felt like there was lots of new things to bring to the table. I thought it was really well-made. Yeah, I think we should give a shout out to the filmmaker, Lisa Williams. She, she's done a really good job with this. It feels like a, a sort of gentler approach to looking at it. It sounds a strange thing to say about such a crime, but it, it's, it's definitely a sort of softer look. It's not trying to be sensational. And yeah, the big thing is the attitude of the police, really, and, and society in general. That's what it sort of looks at when these murders were happening. How negatively some people look on these deaths and almost you know, not quite sympathy with whoever's doing them, but certainly not horror in the, in the way there definitely would be today there's also the situation where some of the people that are attacked and and some of that are killed because they are not um, prostitutes they are therefore not initially linked to peter sutcliffe the first murder in chapel town which at that point was a very low area of leeds very poor area where there was a red light district and there's other murders that happen and because they're not 
they don't fit the sort of bill of being prostitutes. The police are very slow to kind of link everything together. That's in part due to their sort of attitude towards women. So, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And, and as you say, it doesn't really necessarily focus on Peter Sutcliffe. I think that the fourth episode is more about the court case, but certainly these first couple of episodes is about sort of the attitude to women, the attitude to the, the murdered women and, and how sort of the world was very different, I suppose, in the 70s. Women being dismissed as being of loose morals because they went to the pub on their own, for instance. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, eye-opening stuff. So definitely recommend that one on BBC4. When's it on, Jeffers? It runs Tuesday to Friday this week at 9 o'clock on BBC4. Um, yeah, it's going to be on iPlayer for a little while as well, and it's definitely worth a watch. Another documentary, just to quickly mention, much lighter in subject matter. Uh, one of the nation's most popular actors, probably, David Jason. He's been handed a documentary on gold. Very much get the sense. It's like, David, what can we do to make you do a documentary? What can it be about? Tell us a bit more, Jeffers. Yeah, this is David Jason, Planes, Trades and Automobiles. It's Thursday, nine o'clock on gold. And it is, yeah, David Jason does exactly what he wants for, <laughs> for a whole TV series. And if you love David Jason, you're going to get some enjoyment out of this in terms of the joy on his face. He's almost crying at times. You know, he goes to America. He's flying planes that he had as toys when he was a little child. He's driving one of the first ever motor cars. He is going on trains up and down the country and he loves it. But I've got to say, you've, you've got to be, I think, quite into your planes, trains and automobiles. This is not sort of, David, you know, there's not too many uh, gags going on or anything like that. It's quite an informative run through of the history of planes, trains and automobiles in that area. So By informative, you mean boring? Well, yeah, you've got to be, I think you've got to be into those things. I think you've got to perhaps watch uh, Discovery or History and uh, about automobiles or something like that. I don't think... It's one just because David Jason is in it, you can watch it. You probably need to have an interest in those things. But as I say, the look on his face, he's loving it. If nothing else, he's had an amazing time. Oh, lucky David. It's time once again to add to the list of box sets to watch before you die. Each week, one of our favourite faces from the telly tells us a must-see series. Last week, Sally Dinover from Corrie said we had to watch The Sopranos. I got in trouble with someone on Twitter for not having seen it. I will watch it. I promise I will. This week, it's the turn of telly legend Les Dennis. Here he is with his box set to watch before you die. I'm Les Dennis. The box set, I don't know whether it is one, but it should be one that I would recommend for anybody to watch is The Dick Van Dyke Show. An amazing black and white 30-minute Comedy starring him and Mary Tyler Moore in the 60s. Mrs. Petrie? Rob's wife? No, his mother. <laughs> I know it's his wife. Send her in. That girl is crazy. She is crazy. Well, I've always felt there was a little problem. You've never felt anything. Now go answer the door, will you? I watched it before I saw him in Mary Poppins. Loved it. And watching him, I just realized that's what I want to do. Oh, Rob, all these years we said we'd never lie to each other. And I lied to you. What? <laughs> Sex female? You couldn't have lied to me. Everybody says, oh, Dick Van Dyke doesn't have a decent Cockney accent. Doesn't matter. He's got a great talent, and I wouldn't want him to speak any other way in Mary Poppins. And watching him in the new Mary Poppins, I cried. A 65-year-old man cried to watch somebody who was a hero and an inspiration still doing it and still being brilliant. He's amazing. Oh, Les, what a great choice. What would you make of this, Jeffers? Well, Les is a legend just for choosing something that's not on HBO for starters. Hey. I think he might be the first, one of the first people. But again, another show that I've not heard about, which I'm going to 
have to watch what? now. You know who Dick Van Dyke is. Yeah, like. but yeah, yeah, 93 now I looked up. Yeah, he's still kicking on. This was in uh, 1961, ran until 1966. It's on CBS. Um, 158 episodes to get through if, if you like the look of it. And um, yeah, it was one of the first sort of sitcoms, I think, in the sense, well, one of the first sitcoms that was set with a man and his home life and his work life sort of combined. Dick Van Dyke was playing Rob Petrie. He worked in New York City, he was a, a writer for a TV show, and it's sort of set around him, his sort of colleagues, and then his family back home and his next door neighbours. It's one of the first sort of really popular sitcoms, as far as I know. You can get it on Amazon Prime. I can't really tell people to watch it illegally, but I think if you look around on YouTube, <laughs> the episode 23, 24, you might get lucky. We don't advocate that in any way. No, but but I'm going to I'm gonna give it a watch. I think it won 15 Emmys. Wow. So, I mean, incredibly popular, often ranks in the sort of top 10 of the best sitcoms of all time in American polls. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a good choice from Les. And Mary Ty- Tyler Moore's an icon as well, isn't she? Yeah, I mean, two huge stars in this. Dick Van Dyke obviously went on to other great things with, according to Les, a pretty good accent as well. (laughs) It's all good. Thanks very much, Les, for that. You can see him on screen in Pilgrimage, Road to Rome. That's the second series of Pilgrimage on BBC Two, starting on Friday, the 5th of April at 9 o'clock. I'm sure we'll be discussing that next week as well. Plus, there'll be another box set to watch before you die. So we're nearly out of time in this week's episode, but as ever, we need to scan across our EPGs and hazard a guess at what we'll be talking about, not just next week, but also next month and next year. Jeffers fans, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. You ready? Next week. First up, I think you're going to like this one, Emma. It's Our Planets. It's Netflix, April the 5th. This is David Attenborough's new show. Going to be probably quite like Blue Planet, to be honest with you. An eight-part series exploring the unique and precious wonders of the natural world. Because it's not on the BBC, I think they're going to be able to hammer home a bit about the problems, the environmental problems, climate change. I think they're going to try and make a real big difference with this show. They've done well to sign him, haven't they? Yes, one of the few things he's done outside of the BBC. I think uh, David feels it's important to get his message across around the whole world. And obviously... Going through Netflix, he's going to be able to do that. On a totally different note, we've also got Britain's Got Talent. That is starting next Saturday, April 6th. A different audience. Everyone's going to be talking about that as well. Some weird and wonderful auditions. It's the same judging panel. And of course, Ant and Deck. Next month. Next month. It's getting closer. I still haven't watched any of it. Game of Thrones is going to be on April the 14th. Um, Kit Harrington's been talking about this series and he's been saying that it, it was the right time for it to end. A lot of the in-jokes on set were starting to get a bit tired and old and uh, it was starting to feel a bit frayed. So he's pleased it is the end and it is going to be the, the final at series and that starts April the 14th. Feature-length episodes as well. It's going to be good. And next year... Mindy Kaling. Yes, my favourite. Your favourite. She's Tell announced. She's announced on Twitter that she's going to do a new comedy series also for Netflix. It's uh, described as an exploration of a complicated life of a modern-day first-generation Indian-American teenage girl. I think she's had she's written some books around this subject. You probably know more than me, but it's, yeah, I think it's going to be based around that. And she said to get ready for lots of relatable, awkward team moments. I'm in. Amazing. And news for Clunes fans as well for next year? Yeah, Doc Martin has just started filming this week. Martin described it as the best job on television and he's back down in Cornwall and they're starting filming, I think it's the ninth series. Good news all round then. Exciting stuff. Lots for us to keep an eye on. That's all we've got time for. This has been the Series Linked podcast. If you've enjoyed it and you're feeling like doing a good deed for the day, please go on, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It just helps us out. And make sure you've subscribed. That's for your benefit. So the next episode is ready and waiting when it drops next Tuesday. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye. See you next week, fella. 
Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to. Because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Two and a half million people, each doing the Beachbody program that fits our own goals. Over 80 to choose from. Some that take just 20 minutes a day. Nutrition plans that teach you how to eat healthy and still enjoy food. What we all have in common is we know it's not easy. So we help each other. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. That's why I'm inviting you to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.